0: You were part of a pretty strong lineup on Tuesday night. Yes, Tuesday night was. Comedy night, wasn't it? That's right. Bob Hope and then Mm. Triple McGee and then. Bob Hope came in a little later. Red Skelton. Skelton was in in there. Uh Then later Ozzy and Harriet and Amos and Andy, Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. From Hollywood, California and
1: an allied base somewhere in Australia, Autolite brings you Everything for the Boys. The Command Theater of the Air starring Mr. Ronald Coleman, his guest, Miss Greer Garson. for the Boys is presented by the Electric Autolite Company and its 22 great manufacturing plants. Builders of precision equipment for 35 years. World famous for autolite spark plugs, batteries, wire, cable, and electrical systems for automotive, aviation, and marine use.
2: Your host, Mr. Ronald Coleman. Thank you and good evening. In these intense days, when time is a precious thing to all of us, our request play for tonight is especially interesting. For Mr. Balderson's play, Barclay Square, concerns itself with time in that amazing, mysterious rush of seconds which separate us from yesterday and tomorrow. Now, two young American soldier heroes are waiting for this broadcast at a fighting base somewhere in Australia. And my good friend, Greer Garson, and I will speak directly to them by special overseas radio. But first we bring you this radio dramatization by Arch To the men and women of the United States Army stationed in Australia, we dedicate this half hour.
1: Stout hearts in men and machines win wars. Men who are not afraid to die.
3: If you'd have tuned your radio to NBC's New York flagship, WEAF, at 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday, February 8, 1944, you'd have heard Ronald Coleman host the Autolite sponsored Everything for the Boys, the guest star was Greer Garson. NBC owned the ratings on Tuesdays with six of the top seven shows. Opposite of everything for the boys, CBS ran a concert, WOR Mutual ran News, and WJZ of the Blue Network ran The Girl Back Home. Barclay Square is a fantasy play about a man who desires so much to go back in time that he somehow achieves it.
1: and electrical systems make up the electrical lifeline in thousands of tanks, jeeps, trucks, and boats. On the fighting front, the name Autolite stands for dependability. And just as Autolite starts something on every front, so here at home, you can count on Autolite spark plugs and batteries to help your car go the duration. Ask one of the thousands of Autolite service stations, your car dealer or serviceman, to help you care for your car for your country. Play, Barclay Square. The players, Mr. Ronald Coleman, and his guest of the evening, Miss Greer Garson. Before the curtain rises, let me extend the congratulations of all of us to Miss Garson, who yesterday was nominated as an Academy candidate for her splendid work in Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's picture, Madame Curry. And now, on with our play.
0: Have you ever hated this time in which you live? Have you ever said to yourself... Why was I born into these blood-stained years? Why couldn't I have lived out my life in the peace and quiet of another time? To you who have cried out these words from a burdened heart, we bring the story of Peter Standish.
2: It began in this house in Berkeley Square. All my life I had hated the turmoil and the tensions of this century they call the 20th. So when a relative of mine left me this place, I came here from America and moved in, thankful for the mellowed silence of these old walls. For this house was exactly as it had been in the 18th century when he had built it. This ancestor, whose name was Peter Standish, just as mine is. But his life had been in the quiet graciousness of the 18th century, and mine war war, war! again and again i said to myself if i could only go back to his time those leisurely wonderful days of that other peter standish if i could only go back those very words were in my mind as i sat here reading his diary the pages were yellow the ink faded Yet what he wrote in 1784 was more real to me than my own world outside. It was a diary that began with his arrival here from America to visit his cousin, Lady Anne Pettigrew, and her daughters, Catherine and Helen. On that day in October of 1784, he had climbed the steps to this house in Berkeley Square and opened the door to the clean, fresh world of those days. I read the words, and suddenly... The words of his diary began to move in front of my eyes. The walls of the room began to lift and fall. I couldn't see. I couldn't think. What was happening to me? And suddenly, there was a voice. A woman's voice.
4: I bid you welcome, cousin Pinter.
2: A woman, tall, lovely, standing there.
4: I trust you had a swift passage from the colonies.
2: Passage? The colonies? What did you mean?
4: My sister Kate and my mother will be pleased indeed to know that you are here. All of us have been waiting for you. What a dreary voyage it must have been on that packet. Twenty-seven days at sea.
2: And then I knew... What I had wanted so intensely had happened. Time had moved back. I was that other Peter Standish. I was living his life in the 18th century.
4: Welcome. Ten thousand welcomes, dear, dear cousin. You are uh, Lady Anne? Why, of course.
2: Your your servant, ma'am.
4: Of course, you've met your cousin Helen. Yes, yes, we have met. Do not be so forward, Helen, dear.
2: She's lovely.
4: Yes. And now may I present dear Catherine. I bid you welcome. Why do you look at me like that?
2: Oh, I I just remembered, according to the diary, you are my betrothed.
4: Diary? Betrothed? I vow you are the most abrupt man. You have not even asked Mother's permission to pay your addresses. Indeed you haven't. No,
2: but it's practically all been arranged. As I remember... Uh, the settlement was to be fifteen thousand
4: pounds wasn't it oh but uh, but we never wrote you i mean we talked about it here but we never mother
2: oh there's no reason to be disturbed according to what i remember uh, we are going to get married and have three children what and one of them dies of smallpox at the age of seven and is buried in st mark's churchyard
4: mother (sighs) mr standish what a horrible thing to say mother Catherine, don't you understand mr standish is not well he is but newly disembarked and doubtless he is very fatigued cousin standish may i show you to your room
2: thank you very much for helping me out
4: why did you say what you said to them
2: please don't ask me
4: if you wish
2: thank you you know As soon as i saw you i i knew that you were someone who i mean you will help me won't you
4: how can i help you
2: well it's all so strange
4: strange
2: yes i i thought about this so much and and now that i'm really here why... why do you look at me like that I don't know is there anything strange about me
4: it was raining outside when you came in yet neither your cloak nor your boots were wet who are you where do you come from
2: why i'm your cousin peter standish i i've just arrived here from america
4: of course to marry my sister catherine
2: yes to marry
3: the Ginny Sims show took to the air. That month, the show's rating was 14.6. Roughly 11 million people tuned in. Opposite CBS aired Big Town. WOR aired The Black Castle. Will WJZ aired news.
5: These men who conquer twice, who meet the arms and armor of their sullen foes and conquering once, deal more than one defeat, who stricken rise to strike still braver blows. Who are these champions of the second start? The Steadfast Wearers of the Purple Heart. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this is an excited and privileged moment for all of us in the studio here tonight. Every week at this time, we're going to present the thrilling and inspiring stories of our men of war who fell in battle and stood up again. You'll know their gallantry in the face of the enemy and in the face of life. For these will be the men who wear the splendid emblem that America gives to those who suffer wounds in battle for her. They're the men who wear the purple heart. You'll hear their stories, and you'll hear them. But now, by way of proving that the accent is on life and the pursuit of happiness, may I give you the happy and lively... Would you like to swing on a star? Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off than you are Would you rather be a mule? A mule is an animal with long funny ears. He kicks up at anything he hears. His back is brawny, but his brain is weak. He's just plain stupid with a stubborn streak. And by the way, if you hate to go to school, you may grow up to be a mule.
6: Or Would you like to swing on a star? Harry Moonbeams home in a jar. And be better off than you are. Or would you rather be a pig?
5: A pig is an animal with dirt on his face His shoes are a terrible disgrace He's got no manners when he eats his food He's fat and lazy and extremely rude But if you don't care a feather or a fig
6: You may go up to be a pig Or would you like to swing on a star Carry moonbeams home in a jar And be better off
5: A fish won't do anything but swim in a brook. He can't write his name or read a book. To fool the people is his only thought. And though he's slippery, he still gets caught. And then if that sort of life is what you wish, you may grow up to be a fish. And all the monkeys aren't in the zoo. Every day you meet quite a few. So you see, it's all up to you can be better than you are, you could be swinging on a star, be better than you are, keep swinging on a star.
1: The Purple Heart.
5: England was behind in the summer darkness. England in the dark channel. The channel secretly alive with ships and men and the implements of vengeance. Gone too was the great transport plane only the darkness remained, and Sergeant John G. Rooney's parachute floating above him as he sank down silently to the French earth. France below. Invasion below.
0: This is it.
6: This is it. This is it.
5: Out of the sky over Mare St. Eglise, paratrooper John Rooney swung and floated, his comrades around him in the night. Earthward. Earthward. Then... What are you thinking, Sergeant John Rooney, as the tracer bullets fly? What are your thoughts as you swim down the long channel of the sky?
6: Tracer bullets... There go some of the boys limping their harness. They're hit. They're hit, and I'm sorry and mad. Curtains for the kids. I want to get down there and put those machine guns out of business. I don't like them. I'm against them. I'm anti-machine gun. Put them out before the glider infantry arrives. That's the ticket. Punch it with your Tommy gun, Johnny G. Rooney. Yes. Yes, are you okay? Oh, fine, fine, I'm fine. Let's shoot somebody. Look, we gotta knock out those two German machine guns on the ridge. Sure, let's knock the Hitlers on the head, huh? We've gotta use grenades. Ain't nothing of it. I can get them free. I know a fella. Okay, you ready? Ready, Chief. All right, keep low. Come on.
5: Sergeant Rooney flips his grenade at the astonished Hitlers. <laughs> Private, yes, Rosen, let's fly his grenade.
6: with the bayonets.
5: Come on! Later, their friends crouch at a roadside, waiting for Nazi cars to roll by.
6: I can't wait for them to roll over those mines we planted. <laughs> Some prank, ain't it? Shh. Quiet. Here comes a car now. Rooney, I'll match you for the
3: tires. Shut up. At 8.30 p.m., NBC aired A Date With Judy, a female-driven situation comedy starring Louise Erickson. Opposite CBS ran The Judy Canova Show, while WJZ aired Duffy's Tavern, and WOR ran the quiz show Battle of the Burrows*. This was the most competitive time slot as far as ratings went. In February, A Date With Judy pulled a 9.6, while The Judy Canova Show pulled a 12.6, and Duffy's Tavern had a 14.6. Louise Erickson was three weeks shy of her 16th birthday. She held the role until 1949. The series was popular enough that in response, CBS developed Meet Corliss Archer.
6: Famous Quick Relief from Acid Indigestion presents A Date with Judy.
7: Judy, could I have a date for Saturday night?
8: Well, you certainly
7: could. (laughs) I'm a little short on gas, so I wonder if you'd mind meeting me at Peterson's Drugstore. We'll have a soda, and then we can (laughs) go someplace.
8: Uh, Wonderful.
7: Okay, I'll meet you in front of the drugstore at about 7.30. Don't be late. Goodbye.
8: Goodbye. Who is that, Judy? Jeepers, I forgot to ask. (laughs)
6: Well, that's Judy, folks. Judy Foster, the cutest date in town. And your date with her each Tuesday at the same time is arranged by the makers of Tums, famous quick relief for acid indigestion. Well, now we pick up Judy and her 12-year-old brother Randolph in a department store where they're trying to find a present for their parents' anniversary.
8: Randolph, how do you think mother and father would like a ping-pong table? I don't know how they'd like it, but I'd like it. (laughs) This isn't your anniversary, Randolph. Um, How do you think they'd like a set of books? They have a set of books. Oh, Randolph, I know just the thing. Oh, Randolph, this will simply be terrific. We'll buy mother and father some Frank Sinatra records. Oh, that'll be just dandy. (laughs) Then for your birthday, father can give you a box of cigars and a nice smoking jacket. was terribly mean of you not to let me buy father and mother the Sinatra records. Yeah, and after us spending a whole hour listening to them, too. It was a lovely morning, wasn't it, Randall? Yeah, but we still haven't got an anniversary present. Well, maybe this next door will have something. Hey, look, Randall. What? Look what's playing at the Bijou this week. Two big feature attractions, one newsreel, one short, one Mickey Mouse, one serial, and a stage show. Well, that's a nice way to spend a week.
0: <laughs>
8: Randall. I finally figured out a solution to all our problems. Instead of buying Father and Mother a present, let's take them to the show. You know, have a theater party. Okay, we'll invite all our friends and Randolph. Then we... Remember, we have only three dollars to spend on their anniversary. How much are the tickets? Fifty-five cents, as usual. Well, then we could buy. Let me see now. Fifty-five and the three dollars goes. Oh, we could buy five tickets, and we still have twenty-five cents left over. Enough for five people and a midget. <laughs> oh, Randolph, look what the features are. Hep, Cat, Katie, and Jumping Jive. You know, Randolph, I know who'd really enjoy this bill the most. Judy, we are not going to invite any of your friends. This party is for mother and father. Well, you can't deny it. Oogie Pringle and his hotlicks would love this bill. Oh, I don't know, look at that cereal. The mystery cowboy rides again. Some of my gang would be crazy about it. You can get them in at 15 cents a throw. So much the worse. Randolph, in this occasion, I think it's up to both of us to act purely unselfishly. And only think of mother and father. She spends the whole morning quivering over Frank Sinatra and suddenly she gets unselfish. Come on, Randolph. Let's go home and tell mother. Boy, wait till she sits through Hepcat Katie and Jumping Jive tonight. She'll be sorry she ever got married. <laughs>
7: Hello, melvin
6: why dora what are you doing downtown at this time of the day
7: well i was on my way to the red cross and i thought i'd drop by the office for a moment well
6: good uh, sit down here
7: you, melvin i just wanted to tell you that i think we have the sweetest children in the whole world huh guess what they've done
6: i can't possibly
7: <laughs> they've arranged a theater party in our honor
6: they have mm-hmm. well uh, what's the occasion dear
7: oh melvin What's the date today? Uh,
6: February 22nd.
7: Well, doesn't that mean anything to you?
6: Let me see. Oh, of course.
7: Oh, then you did remember. It's
6: Washington's birthday.
7: <laughs> why, Melvin Foster, I don't know why I ever married you.
6: Well, uh, oh. Oh, oh, it's our anniversary. I'll bet you actually thought I'd forgotten it. Uh,
7: (laughs) Now, Melvin, don't try and pretend.
6: Well, I did not forget it, Dora. You'll see when I get home. Mm. Oh, Dora, I just remembered I can't go to the theater tonight.
7: Well, why not, I'm
6: expecting Mr. Gibbons here any minute. I've simply got to get that tomato canning contract from him, and I'm going to have to do some fast talking He's on the verge of signing with the deluxe people.
7: Oh, Melvin. Well, the children will be brokenhearted. They picked a show they think we especially want to see. Well,
6: it is sweet of them, but I don't know what I can do. It's such an important contract, I'd hate to lose it.
7: Say, Melvin, I have an idea. How would it be if we asked Mr. Gibbons to go along with us? Well, I don't know, Dora. After Mr. Gibbons spends an evening with your delightful family, I'll bet you'll get your contract.
6: Well, I'll ask him when he comes in. I'd hate to let the kids down. No, oh, I
7: know you would, dear. And Melvin. Yes, Dora. I think I have the sweetest husband in the world, too. Oh.
6: <laughs> oh, you do, do you?
7: <laughs> Yes, I do. Well, goodbye, dear. I'll see you this evening.
6: Goodbye, Dora.
8: Yes, Mr. Foster. Uh,
6: Miss Watson, get the Royal Flower's Chop on the phone and have him fix up an extra special bunch of flowers for me. I'll pick them up on my way home. It's our anniversary. And you know I never forget anniversaries.
8: you had someone in your office. Oh,
6: that's all right. Come right in, kids. Uh, Mr. Gibbons, this is my daughter, Judy, and my son, Randolph.
8: how do you do? Hello, Mr. Gibbons.
6: I've met your daughter before, Foster. I think she's a friend of my son, Willie.
8: Oh, yes, of course. Willie and I are very good friends. In fact, she was that way about him from September 1st to September 3rd of last year. (laughs) That way? You know, she was making him her hobby uh,
6: <laughs> uh, 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 Children, uh, I think you'd better be running along now uh, Mr. Gibbons and I have some business to discuss
8: But Father, we haven't told you what we came for yet On account of this being your anniversary And Mother's too, naturally
6: <laughs> Yes, your Mother's told me all about it And I think it's very thoughtful of you kids To give a theater party in our honor And you know what? I've asked Mr. Gibbons here to join us. Uh, Foster, I told you I don't think I can make it. You see, I want to make up my mind about that contract tonight.
8: Oh, Mr. Gibbons, you've got to come. If you don't, Father won't. And if he doesn't come, it'll spoil Mother's evening. Of course, we could fix Mother up with Oogie Pringle. No. No, I don't think it's fair that Mother has to have a blind date in her anniversary. She really ought to be with Father. Are
6: they serious? Would they really fix your wife up with a, a blind date for something? Oh no, no, they're just kidding, just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> hey, you know, children.
8: Mr. Gibbons, you simply can't let Mother down like this. Well,
6: I'm sorry, but I don't think I ought to oh, take. Oh, the... come on, Gibbons. A little relaxation be good for you. Well, please,
8: Mr. Gibbons. We can afford you, you know. It isn't as though you'd have to buy your own ticket. <laughs>
6: well, all right.
8: Oh, that's wonderful. Well,
6: well it's all settled then. Fine. And now, now, run along, kids. Uh, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye,
8: Mr. Gibbons. Bye, Father.
6: Goodbye. <sighs> this younger generation. Oh, I don't know. I think they're all pretty swell kids. Well, I wish I thought so. This jazz craze of theirs. I believe it's called Jive. Hmm? No, yeah. no, Jive. Jive, oh. Jive. Now, whatever it's called, I hate it. In my day, music was music. Now take Victor Herbert; there was a man who knew how to write music, had a melody. But this modern Uh, stuff—now about this little deal about Bobby socks Uh... and sloppy Joe sweaters. I don't know how the boys of this generation stand the girls of this generation, Foster. Well, now, Judy's a sweet Every guy. time my son, Willie, brings one of them home, I just gape in wonder. <clears throat> uh, well, no matter what the deluxe people claim, I still know I can give you an all-around bad And that, that Frank Sinatra. You... Can you understand anything like that, Foster? <laughs> well, I don't know, now. Judy's crazy about him. All the kids are. Now, believe me, my Willie isn't interested in this mooner-cooner stuff. Tomatoes, that's the thing. He's going to follow right in my footsteps. In tomatoes? In tomatoes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> on radio, the way we did it, there was no door, there was nothing. The, the man piled this stuff up on a stepladder way up to the ceiling, and then on a cue, he'd knock it over. It couldn't have been pictured the way we actually did it <laughs> <laughs> that,
9: i think no that matter. was one of the great trademarks of the Fibber mcgee and molly show the uh, the hall closet and the uh, strange
0: thing about it was that especially in the last five seven eight years that we did it we would do that as many as three times a year that's all and, and everybody that ever says anything about Fibber mcgee and molly now they always think of the closet And they think that Fear McGee and Molly was a closet, you know? (laughs) And it's the truth that we wouldn't do it over two or three times in a year. We felt that that the gag was wearing thin. We didn't want it to wear thin. We wanted to keep it alive as long as we possibly could. And we talked about it and did keep it alive. But
3: we wouldn't actually do it. Boy, we'd have a big meeting about whether to do it or not. After the Molay Mystery Theater aired at 9 p.m., the three top-rated shows on radio aired in succession, beginning with the Just Heard Jim Jordan, Co starring in Fibber McGee and Molly. The February 8th episode was called Homemade Ice Cream and had a rating of 35.7. More than 27 million people tuned in. (laughs) The Johnson Wax program with Fibber McGee and Molly.
9: The makers of Johnson's Wax for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra.
0: It began Friday. Mm -hmm. What would you do? Would you be working with Don Quinn, going over his uh, material? Oh, we'd meet on Friday, and then we would meet again Saturday, and we would meet sunday that was just with us and the writers you see and then on monday the cast would come in and we'd have a reading and then they'd go back to work and we'd take it on tuesday morning again the building of the show and everything of course was all done beforehand how many uh, rehearsals would you have Two. was one a dress rehearsal yes we'd have a dress on tuesday about noontime would you have an audience
2: for that no uh,
0: no it wasn't necessary to gauge where no. the laps were going to fall and mm. and so on
2: that's
0: right what? If they didn't fall well, was too bad. <laughs> they didn't always believe me and for uh, most of the time then from 39 on the show originated
9: from the hollywood studios always leather and rubber and here again the wax is used for protection of vital materials you might be interested to know that even paints were developed that actually contain wax, called Johnson's Wax Fortified Paints. During the war, these have been greatly restricted, but they will again be available for industry, institutions, and products after the war. It's partly your use of Johnson's wax on floors, furniture, and woodwork that has led to this increased usefulness of wax in war. When Pop was a kid and had a yen for some ice cream, he could jolly well spend the afternoon turning the crank of the freezer. And now with the drugstores so short of congealed cow juice, we find history repeating itself in the kitchen of 79 Wistful Vista, the home of Fibber McGee and Molly. I'll be glad that ice cream
10: is
11: frozen, McGee. That thing makes too much noise. What? I say that thing makes too much noise, dearie. Wait a minute, I can't hear you. What'd you say? I say that thing makes too much noise. Oh. Don't you think it ought to be Bob Dunn? What, dearie? I say, don't you think it's about frozen? Wait a minute, I can't hear you. What'd you say? (laughs) I say, don't you think it's nearly frozen by now?
12: My gosh, it ought to be. I've been cranking this thing for three hours.
11: I know, dearie, you must be... What are you waving your hand at me for? I'm not
12: waving it. It's doing that by itself. (laughs) I haven't turned that freezer so long, even my wristwatch has got a dizzy look on its face.
11: (laughs) Well, you're the one who wanted the ice cream, sweetheart.
12: Ah, why can't I control my appetites? Must be the beast in me Whew, Boy, am I tired
11: Well, I didn't make you turn that freezer, McGee You wanted some ice cream and the drugstore's always out of it So I just said, why don't you make some?
12: Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't get hungry for some rope for cheese <laughs> You'd have suggested I go out and milk a goat
11: <laughs> Now, look, dearie, don't blame me yeah, now
12: I know, I know, I brought it on myself, I know I just got a sudden urge for a chocolate sundae or something Gee whiz, I don't know why Hey, wh- what are you going to do?
11: I'm going to put on my apron and turn that freezer for a while I'm getting hungry for some ice cream myself. Oh, no,
12: no, 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 no. I'll, I'll do it, Molly, huh? I'm rested now. Well, I just assume No, 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 no. This is man's work. I wonder where I could get a man.
11: <laughs> you know, it should have been frozen long ago. Are you sure you followed the instructions? Sure I did. Well, you got me all puckered up for a uh, chocolate sundae now. Are you sure the drugstore hasn't got any ice cream? Mm,
12: practically certain.
11: Well, I wish you'd call them and see just on the off chance, you
12: know? Okay. And if they haven't got any, I can go back to cranking this doggone blister factory. Hand me the phone. Here. Thanks. Hello, operator. Give me Kramer's Drug Store on the corner of 14th and... Oh, is that you, Mert? Oh,
10: dear. <laughs>
12: How's every little thing, Mert? <laughs> hey. What's that, Mert? Oh, my gosh. That was tough luck, wasn't it? Oh, dear. Went flat right in front of the post office, eh?
11: Mert's tire?
12: No, Mert's sister. She was singing at a bond rally.
11: <laughs>
12: What's say, Mert? Okay, I'll try again later. Well, thanks anyway, Mert. Drugstore don't answer.
11: Say, let's go down there and see if they have any ice cream.
12: Ah, now you're talking. That's a deal, Tootsie. <laughs> Maybe when this darn thing finds itself all alone in the house, it'll get the cold chills or something.
11: Well, I'll go get my hat and purse now. You lock the back door. Okay.
12: Here. Ah, there goes a good kid. Just going to the drugstore because she knows I want some ice cream. Well, looks like it's my duty to get my cutie-patootie some tootie-fruity. First, don't see why... Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi there, little girl. How do you do it?
10: Do what, mister? How do you figure out
12: just when the most inconvenient time will be to drop in here?
10: Why? Huh? Mm? What? Sure. Sure what? Mm? Doggone it, sis!
12: (laughs) Make it snappy, will you? Mrs. McGee and I are going down to the drugstore. What was it you wanted?
10: you know what mister No what i just joined the boy scouts a little while ago you what i just joined the boy scouts i'll bet you gee they're swell
12: yeah but now wait a minute did you
10: know me? that this is their 34th anniversary mister who hmm, did you is hmm? yes,
12: it really 34th but you're a girl how did they ever manage well to...
10: i've always wanted to join the boy scouts because my brother was a boy scout and now he's in the Marines, and I bet you he'd be glad to know I joined the Boy Scouts on their 34th anniversary. I bet you.
12: Doggone it, sis! Don't talk nonsense.
10: Mm-hmm. I said, don't talk
12: nonsense. The Boy Scouts only include boys. You couldn't join.
10: I bet you I did though. I betcha.
12: Now wait a minute, sis. I They told... were on
10: a hike, and and they went past our house, and I joined them for ten or twelve blocks. I betcha. <laughs> and I said, I said, what patrol are you boys? And one of them said, we're badgers. Mm-hmm. And I said, married badgers, and that just laid there, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then the scoutmaster sent me home. <laughs> yeah.
12: None too soon, either.
10: <laughs> Seeing as I
12: used to be a scoutmaster myself, I'm going to send you home. Go on, say beat, will you?
10: You got time to hear my poem first, mister, that I wrote for school? Is it short? Sure. Shoot. Okay. I call it, there was an old lady who lived in a shoe.
12: Oh, let's hear that. I always get a honk out of Mother Goose.
10: (laughs) Huh? What'd you say? Go ahead. Okay. There was an old lady who lived in a shoe. With the housing situation, she was very lucky, too. So you can just imagine how her blood ran cold when she heard some nasty gossip that the place was half sold. (laughs)
3: After Fibber McGee and Molly signed off, Bob Hope's Pepsodent program signed on at 10 p.m.